0: Welcome to our third episode in this series on the Sacrament of Holy Orders. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us again. Last episode, the second episode, we covered the priesthood as a male priesthood kind of going over some of the, the the profound reasons, but hopefully all ending fully on the fact that the church has no ability to change it, because the main reason is that Christ very clearly institutes a male priesthood, and there's nothing that the, the church can do to override that, because she is the one who is there to love and to serve and to help her groom, Christ, not Override or in some ways uh, change or alter the actions and the words of Christ to fit our own appreciation or to fit into better a type of society or era in which we live here and now presently on earth. In this episode, I want to speak about celibacy. I'm not quite sure exactly how far we'll get, but we will cover what we can. Before speaking about celibacy, which is an utterly different kind of issue than the male priesthood. We need to make that clear, and hopefully that will become clear and clear as to why as we dive further and more deeply into celibacy. But at the outset, we also need to understand two of the most significant roles, kind of the most substantial part or component of the priesthood, is to be one who is sacrificing, the sacrificer, and then also the intercessor, These are two components that we see even all the way from the ancient uh, Jewish religion. The priest has these two roles above all. To be the one who is sacrificing and the one who is interceding. Why we as the, the, the priesthood of Christ, ministerial priesthood of Christ, speak about him as the one true eternal high priest and our priesthood is simply a participation in his is because he's the one that is the only one that is able to offer an infinite sacrifice he is the lamb of god who is slaughtered but he is the one who offers himself up to the slaughter so because he is this priest who is the one who offers this infinite sacrifice we as priests are simply applying the merits through the sacraments that he has merited in his priesthood to others. Therefore, our priesthood is largely just participating, is entirely just participating in his priesthood and applying his merits. What he has done, what he has sacrificed, and what he has offered, we are simply continuing and applying to the souls through the sacraments and other ways, but largely through the sacraments. So we are the ones who sacrifice, and the way that we do that is simply making present the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And then we are the ones who intercede. This also means that we are the ones who go between God and man. We bring from the altar, or excuse me, from the people, the gifts like bread and wine, for instance, to God. And then we return from the altar, from God, to the people with the body and the blood of Christ, with blessings, with the merits uh, of the cross of Christ, as I said, to be applied to the souls Of the individuals to whom we serve. Therefore, understanding this to be the role, both intercessor and sacrificer, instead of going more deeply into that, because I do so already in the series on the Mass, I would like to just simply state that at the outset of the topic of celibacy, because hopefully if you all have that in mind, We'll see how celibacy is something that lends itself towards being able to be the one who is intercessor and sacrificer for all much more effectively. Our celibacy helps us to live out the priesthood more fully. It helps us to live out the priesthood as a way, as, as for truly what it is. The priesthood is this otherworldly gift from God, this thing that is supernatural. And so in a sense, we are called in celibacy to live that out. In heaven, we don't have spouses. Not one is given in marriage, as Christ himself says, in heaven. And therefore, we should understand that the priesthood, as well as monks and nuns and and various religious orders, are living out the type of life of heaven here and now in the way in which they love God and serve God, but also in the way in which they are single and fully devoted to the advancement of the kingdom of heaven on earth through their prayers and sacrifices as well as through their service. So we see that as sacrificer and intercessor, hopefully celibacy will be something that helps and aids us in being a fuller uh, participant in sacrificing for the sake of other people, for the sake of serving other people. I sacrifice even my own self, my own celibacy and these kinds of things. Or my own fertility, I should say, for the, for these, for the purpose of giving of myself as a fuller sign to, uh, to, to others so that they more fully understand the, the significance of the life of heaven and that we should always be, whether we're married or single or not, we should always be directing our minds and attention towards heaven and not being distracted and focused on earth. And then also, of course, intercessor, that I am able to give of myself to help others much more fully and to ensure that I'm there uh, and and able and available to give of myself to all families, to all people in need, rather than having my own family and just trying to help out when I'm not helping them or serving them. So, celibacy. This is technically meaning abstinence from marriage. But of course, celibacy is to live is to be lived out chastely. And chastity has to do with living with a purity in your own state in life. So a married man and a married woman is called the chastity because they shouldn't be watching pornography. And they should be giving of themselves in sexual intercourse, open to life and in a way that is mutually self-giving rather than simply for self-gratification and physical pleasure of one versus the other. They shouldn't be using each other as tools in essence, but rather they should be giving of each other to each other. Um, in, in love and for the sake of unity and with an openness to life. The church has long decided, but excuse me, so that chastity then also in relation to a one who is celibate means that you're not just failing to give of yourself in marriage, but of course you live your life chastely in that state of life meaning that I live with purity, that I'm not also watching pornography or um, trying going on dates and, and trying to develop various physical relationships with various women, etc. But rather, I live celibate, meaning not married, but also a life of chastity and purity, um, giving of myself entirely to God. This is the goal and this is what every priest should be uh, pursuing. The church has long decided that clerics at least clerics, not including deacons, uh, even that is, is somewhat arguable in terms of what the early church understood or not, um, but has has long decided that clerics, at least not including deacons, should be celibate. Although this was not always the case from the beginning, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 2 through 5 says that it is very early tradition, uh, or acknowledges that it is a very early tradition, and that, for instance, we know that St. Peter has a mother-in-law However, we do not know whether his wife is still living or not. This can also be found in Luke chapter 4 verse 38 for those that want to look that up. But we don't know what the context of this is. Is he a widower and that she has already passed? Or have they just both, since he, he, he comes to, to, to appreciate and invest himself entirely into the ministry that Christ has called him to, has he, have they, have they both mutually decided to live, uh, chaste lives that are also celibate uh, continent lives in other words not having sexual intercourse or relations which various uh marriages even catholic marriages have decided to do um for the sake of a sacrifice to god once they engage in sexual intercourse then um and and, and ratify the marriage some have decided to live in a way without sexual relations for the sake of giving of themselves more fully to god and living in a way that is uh more fully an image of the life that is to come in heaven. But we never hear, really, about their relationship or about uh, the, the wife of Peter anywhere after this passage that I've ever come across. On multiple occasions, the importance of keeping oneself from marriage is emphasized. We see this both from Christ, as well as St. Paul, and perhaps even others. For instance, if we look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 12, this speaks of being a eunuch, that is, one who is uh, withholding or not capable of, depending on what kind of eunuch, because there's three different kinds, um, having sexual relations with another. And therefore, in this scripture passage, we see that Christ clearly emphasizes the one who is willfully living this life of a eunuch, avoiding uh, marriage and sexual intercourse for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 also, we see that they say Paul is speaking about reasons uh, that are beneficial for celibacy, and of which I'm sure we will cover to some extent or another. Traditionally, uh, in 1139, in the Second Council of the Lateran, uh, celibacy was imposed formally. However, this was far from the beginning of this reality in the church. In the Council of Elvira, around 300 AD, the imposition of celibacy was already imposed on deacons, priests, and bishops, At least in a certain area or in certain contexts. Those who were married had to refrain from intercourse as well. Pope Siricius in 385 extended bishops, excuse me, extended the discipline uh, to the whole Latin church. Additionally, the Epiphanius, Saint Epiphanius, uh, who argued against the practice of priests, deacons, and subdeacons who continued to have children, said, he argued against them continuing to have children, said, quote, the priesthood is recruited mainly from the ranks of celibates or otherwise of the monks. But if suitable persons for the administration of the off of that office cannot be found among the monks, the priests are usually chosen from among those who abstain from conjugal intercourse with their wives or are widowed after one marriage. End quote. However, the church could overturn this tomorrow. It is right to emphasize that this is not a divine command, but an ecclesial discipline. Why I said there is such a significant difference between celibacy versus the male priesthood, which oftentimes, unfortunately, get convoluted and understood in the same way, is that, as I mentioned hopefully very clearly, the male priesthood is not something that can be changed by the church because it is something that was instituted by Christ himself. It is something that is solidly founded in scripture and and tradition, and therefore the church has no ability to change it, but only to protect and hand it on. Whereas celibacy, this is not something that is demonstrated in scripture nor in sacred tradition as an absolute necessity for priests. And therefore, it is something that has been imposed by the church as an ecclesial discipline. And it is something, therefore, that can be changed by the church at a later date by the, uh, by, by the authority within the church. So when we speak of celibacy, we're speaking of an ecclesial discipline. When we're speaking of the male priesthood, we're speaking of something instituted by Christ himself and therefore cannot be changed, unlike the ecclesial discipline, which can be. Why celibacy? What's it point? Doesn't it seem to cause more problems? Many people begin to condemn priests, uh, or excuse me, condemn celibacy because of the scandalous behavior of various priests with uh, with, with, with homosexuality, uh, specifically pedophilia, which is by and large a, a homosexual issue that has been founded upon, um, uh, what I mean by that is not that, uh, being homosexual will cause you to do so. What I mean by that is that largely the pedophilia that is occurring is by those that are of the same gender as well. In other words, males as well are of an age that is post pubescent and therefore pointing towards again a type of homosexual issue rather than a simply uh, a, a pedophilic issue that is centered on or entirely directed towards a, a heterosexual, um, disorder within somebody's mind or soul or, or or both. So all that to say that people are condemning celibacy because they're thinking that this is causing a type of um, sexual repression or, 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 or lack of, of, of being able to give of yourself in this physical way that then would otherwise prevent these kinds of issues. And it's causing priests to direct themselves towards, unfortunately, innocent children and therefore causing many problems. And this, of course, is something that is proven. To be false. Statistically, there are many ways in which this can be proven false. That many other ministers of various kinds that are all married also have this issue, and that priesthood actually has a very significantly low number, uh, percentage-wise, of those who are in the ministry that are performing these incredibly heinous and, and, and evil actions, than there are if you just take the percentage of. Uh, of teachers, let's say, or other institutions, or uh, even uncles perhaps is is even more. I know statistically, I know at least uncles have, um, or or other members of the family, grandparents or something of the sort in child abuse is uh, one of the greatest numbers. So, It's not celibacy. That's not in any way proven, even though people like to misquote or misuse in um, various statistics to try to use that argument. So one to be aware of. Because that can be absolutely refuted on statistical evidence, if not also on simply logical and spiritual and scriptural evidence as well. Christ is not calling us to something that is impossible to, to, to perform as humans or is not calling us to something um, that is most likely going to lead us into heinous, more and worse sins. Um, but Christ clearly calls people to celibacy. He tells us that again in the in the chapter of, of, of 19 of Matthew. So, celibacy is also not a condemnation of marriage. That's something to keep in mind. The church has always held that marriage is a beautiful sacrament and very important. Of course, also because the primary good of marriage is the propagation of children, to create with God in Uh, bringing about more and more children, more and more, ideally, citizens for heaven. Also, the church makes clear that the love between spouses is to be an image of the love between Christ and the bride. Therefore, the church holds marriage to be of high esteem. Matrimony is a sacrament, and it is a very holy sacrament that is intended for sanctity, just like all of the sacraments are holy and intended to direct those who receive it towards sanctity. Having celibacy as a lofty option for those called only emphasizes more this reality of the beauty of marriage. Celibacy is only a sacrifice and a good because it is an abstention from something that is good and pure. Celibacy is not the rejection of an evil, but rather the abstention from a true and valuable good. That is, the fact that we have celibacy is an indication, clearly, that the church holds in high esteem marriage. Because for celibacy to be a sacrifice, it's not just the sacrifice of abstaining from sexual intercourse. It is a sacrifice of abstaining from being able to propagate and have children, from being able to wake up next to a woman of your dreams, let's say, for the rest of your life, of being able to give of yourself and enjoy, of being able to have community in your home always, rather than going home to, by and large, what many priests, sillies, diocesan priests are doing now, which is going home alone, where there are nobody else, where there is nobody else to talk to, or to commune with, or to, to, to lean on, or to ask advice from, et cetera. And so the reason why celibacy is something of great importance is because it is a sacrifice of from something that is so rich and good like marriage. Secondly, imitation of Christ. This is also another reason for celibacy and a rather good one. If we as Christians are called to follow in the footsteps of Christ, of course we do so in various states in life. One who is married does it differently than a priest, who does it differently than a monk, who does it differently than etc. While at the same time, One form of imitation of Christ that is a radical form is to live a celibate lifestyle. Christ never got married. And therefore, it is not right for Christians to condemn, non-Catholic Christians, to condemn Catholic Christians on the basis that celibacy is not something that is possible or attainable or it's not something that people should live. When in reality, we see this not only in Scripture itself, not only in the life of Christ, but also throughout the last 2,000 years to be something that is served for the sake of the sanctity of people and the church and the growth of the church. How many missionaries left their land and went to China or the West, the New World, and California and all over the United States and Canada and Mexico and South America, everywhere, and all kinds of different places in order to give of the gospel? But how would this have been the case? To do so with a family would have been much more difficult. It's much harder to give of your life as a witness, as a martyr, for the sake of the glory of God and the propagation of the faith, if you're married and you have responsibilities to your children and your spouses at home. This is one of the reasons we'll get a little bit more uh, fully later on. But just know that celibacy is not of one of the least reasons, is a reason, is a, a a. Ecclesial discipline in the church because it is a closer imitation of the life of Christ. This is a logical reason that people oftentimes, unfortunately, oversee. Thirdly, scriptural evidence. Matthew chapter 19 is an important passage that I've already alluded to twice. Christ in this passage explains that some are called to abstain permanently from sexual relations for the sake of the kingdom of God. Matthew 19:10 through 12. Quote, the disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is not expedient to marry. But he said to them, Not all men can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. He who is able to receive this, let him receive it. There are those who should get married who are properly called towards marriage. Marriage is a way amongst countless other beautiful things. One of the benefits of marriage is that it helps to keep people sexually pure. It helps to keep men and women from sexual sin because they're able to give of themselves and to relieve of themselves and to offer themselves in in their fertility and physically and and, and emotionally and psychologically, etc. in ways That obviously celibates are not able to do. Those that are celibate are not able to do. And this can help you to stay pure. To keep your mind pure so that you're not lusting after women in a way that is offensive and and contrary to the gospel. And as well, performing all kinds of uh, acts of self-abuse and other things or pornography or trying to find women that you're not married to, to have relations with, etc. When in reality... Um, of course, we are to live as chastely as we can within the context of marriage as well as outside of the context of marriage. And, and so because marriage is this, this help, this aid to people who are not able to live in this way, then this also clearly indicates that there are people that can live in this way. And if you can, you should, Christ says. So it's something we really truly should be discerning. And parents should certainly help their parents, their their children discern this as well. If parents uh, help their their children to discern this 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 idea that those who can receive this, those who can remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom, who can join a religious order, who can become a priest, etc., then they should, because it is a good and is well also an expression of the life that is to come. Secondly, Saint Paul explains why remaining unmarried is beneficial. First Corinthians chapter seven verses thirty two through thirty five. Quote, the unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman or girl is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, but how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your individual devotion to the Lord. End quote. Paul here is emphasizing that our life on earth is truly to be devoted to God. Therefore, for those who can avoid sin while living a life outside of the marital union, it is a real good, is a true good to do so because of one's ability to give oneself to God more fully. This is not in any way, again, to condemn the sacrament of matrimony and nor is it in any way to say that those who are married cannot be as holy as i am because i'm living a celibate life in no way of course i could be living a celibate life and still be a a dirtbag, a person that is committing all kinds of various sins willfully and 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 not trying to overcome and become holy etc hence again the scandals of so many priests and and bishops of the past this is to say though rather that living the celibate lifestyle lends itself for the road to be easier towards sanctity in one way or another. And what I mean by that is because I can be more fully devoted towards God when I come home and I have nobody else there in my rectory and I'm able the house near the church and I'm able then to 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 to, to, to say more prayers and to go read more and these kinds of things rather than I have uh, different diapers to change and I have my wife to 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 help uh, and to to communicate with to see how her day's going and then I have all my children that I have to co- di- help cook dinner for and then clean up afterwards and then prepare and get them in bed. And ready for the next day for school and all of these kinds of things that are rich and beautiful parts of, 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 of requirements and things that are, that are a part of the agenda for those who are married. Every day they, they're, they're doing these kinds of things. But to not have these kinds of things to do so that I could give of myself more fully to God, that is a true good and it helps me to be a better priest. Fourthly, celibacy is an eschatological image of heaven. As marriage is to be an image of the love between Christ and the bride, celibacy is to be an image of the life of the faithful in heaven, as I've also briefly alluded to. Because there is no marriage between man and woman in heaven, which Matthew twenty-two thirty says, we are all entirely directed towards God and belong to Christ alone. St. Augustine Even called the virginal life the portion, quote, the portion of the angels, end quote. It is a precious thing to have the ability to begin living now the life of heaven. Although this is done in various ways through grace and virtues, celibacy is certainly a clearly and remarkable way. It is to be a reminder to all that God is above all and is to be the most important in this life. Heaven is what we should focus on, not earth. Number five, celibacy aids the priest in not belonging to any one particular family. Rather, the priest, at least the parish priest, belongs to all the families of his parish. So it is much more, much easier just on a practical level. Uh, for the priest to be able to get to at the middle of the night, the person who is dying or to be able to have a day filled with various kinds of of masses of baptism perhaps and a mass of of, of the, the daily mass of the parish and then a wedding afterwards and then to prepare a homily also for that Sunday and then also to run out to the hospital and make sure the communion calls for all of the sick around the parish uh, limitations or boundaries are taken care of and and all of that and to continue to move and go as well as to pray and to, to 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 study and all of this. But that's much more difficult to do. If I have a family and I have a basketball game with my child to get to, and then after the basketball game, I have to take him home because my wife has some meeting across town and she's incapable to do so. And then I have to get home and make sure that I spend time with my family and make sure that I'm giving of myself and praying with them and leading them towards a holy life. And and so how am I being split in this way? This is not the reason for celibacy, but again, this is a practical way for us to understand that celibacy very much lends itself towards being a priest who is sacrificing and a priest who is the one to intercede on behalf of the other people. Not belonging fully to a family, my own family, having a spouse and children, helps me to belong to every other family so that I remember them in prayer, so that I pray for them and sacrifice for them and offer the Mass more frequently for them instead of just predominantly for my own family. But there are priests that are married. I don't want to say otherwise. I'm not suggesting that they're inferior priests or that they're less holy than I am in any way or that they're bad people or anything of the sort. They very well may be living a much holier life and doing far greater work in their parish, even while having a family and doing very much good for their family as well than I'm able to do. My point is just simply that celibacy, even just logically, is something that lends itself, again, towards a holier life. The vast majority of saints are those who lived outside of the married state, the vast majority. There are many saints that are too married. And that is awesome. And that is phenomenal. And that is very possible and attainable. sainthood is, a, is attainable for all people. And it's something that all people should strive for. But there's a reason why we have so many saints that are not married because it is so easy, so much easier to give of your life more fully and to be focused entirely on God uh, as one who does not have a spouse. Number six, in conjunction with what Paul mentions above in 1 Corinthians 7, about anxiety for the things of heaven, a priest who is unmarried ideally has an easier time standing up for the faith, condemning immoral societal norms or injustices of politicians because he, unlike the father and the husband, does not have many mouths to feed. A priest's responsibilities are different. He is the one to enter into the room of the fatally sick person who is contagious because he doesn't have a wife or kids that might, that, that, that he may infect after being around somebody who is contagious with a fatal illness. In other words, the priest has the ability to give of himself more readily, more fully, more quickly, and without question, in various ways even if that means that I become unpopular because I stand against a particular politician who calls himself Catholic, but is voting for and pushing for all kinds of abortions and other laws that are unjust and contrary to God's law. No, it is the priest that should be able to stand up and say, this is incorrect. This is inappropriate. This is problematic. And to clearly state to the people too, what is right from what is wrong and to help them to understand that because I don't have to go to some other career or some other job so that I can feed my family. I don't have to remain popular. Think about, and this is again not a condemnation, but think about the, the, the pastors in, and ministers in a Protestant church. There are things, there are oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the way that those are built or, or, or ordered is that the minister is hired by the board of the church. The board of the church then also has the ability to raise or to lower the salary, to hire or to keep or to fire the one who is there. So all of this means that I can't say something that they might disagree with and be so angry about that they come together and decide to fire me. And now all of a sudden my children have no food. My wife has no uh, ability to, to go and purchase the things that are necessary and pay the bills that month and these kinds of things. Whereas that's not the case. I have no threat of that. If my parishioners all gather together and decide to throw me out, God forbid, and I pray that that never happens, of course, then it, it it is it affects me, of course, and it would be a very difficult thing for me to overcome, but it does not affect all of those behind me. So I should have the ability, even if it results in me being thrown out, to say what is true and what is right. And likewise, as I gave the other example, I should be able to go right into the room of the person that is sick. I should not be so concerned for my health. I should instead go ensure that that person has the sacraments available to them as they have a right to have, even when they are fatally sick, because I am a priest and I am therefore ordained for the sake of offering the sacraments to people, not keeping them healthy, not ensuring their safety, but rather to ensure that they have the sacraments. Of course, I should help to keep them safe. Of course, I should do what I can to to to, to make sure that they are uh, living lives that that, that promote uh, physical health, etc. While at the same time, in the end. I am ordained by the church for the sake of the sacraments and bringing those to the people of God as well as spending time with them and helping them to know the love of Christ and his holy and good mercy. So I am expendable in my celibacy in a sense because I have the ability to live a life where I am uh, much more quickly made the martyr rather than somebody that has to question that because I have these four kids that I still need to to feed and to help and to grow. And therefore, not having those responsibilities gives me a, a freedom, in a sense, to do that more readily. Because celibacy is not a divine command, though, there are some exceptions. As I said, there are some married priests. Some priests are married because perhaps they are not members of the Latin rite. So it is the Latin rite that is by and large, kept this as a tradition, even though in the other rites, which I won't get too much into, but if you've ever heard of, let's say, the Coptic rite, or if you've ever heard of Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox, right, these are schismatic churches that are not in union with Rome, but many of them have a a version, a mirrored version, that are in union with Rome. So the Melanchoe rite, something in Egypt, uh, the Melkite rite, the Ukrainian rite, these are all in union with Rome. These are Catholic, not Orthodox churches, um, and they are all a part of the Catholic Church, but they are not a part of the Western Latin Roman rite, but rather they have their own rite. So their mass would look a little bit different, but their theology is in essence the same. They are in union with the Pope. They're in union with Rome. They're in union with Holy Mother Church. They, many of them, have never mandated the necessity of celibacy And so although there are celibate priests in those rites, there are oftentimes also married priests in those rites. Another way as well is that a convert who was a priest in, let's say, being an Anglican. I think there's a couple other denominations. I'm not positive about this, but maybe Lutheran or something of the sort. But who then is married, but also a priest quote, they're not actual priests because they've broken away from the proper ordination. And therefore, because of that, they have lost validity to the sacrament of holy orders. And therefore, these are not priests. Uh, But in uh, Anglicanism, what they consider to be the ordination to the priesthood, one who is married that has received that and then converts to Catholicism, oftentimes is able, I believe through the bishop, if not through the Pope, I'm not, not really certain, is able to get permission to become a Catholic priest While still maintaining, obviously, their married state. So, all that to say, there are certain exceptions and there are certain norms outside of the Latin rite, the Roman rite, of uh, married priesthood. But know that as celibacy is a norm for the vast majority of priests in the church in the whole world, but also that it is a ecclesial an ecclesial discipline and therefore can be overturned. without much difficulty if the Pope and the bishops ever gathered together and decided such. Therefore, as a way of wrapping up, the priest again is the one who sacrifices and is the intercessor between God and the people, which is why he stands before God and the people between God and the people in mass. But this is also demonstrated in the sacrament of confession and in many other ways. Therefore, in doing so, celibacy is a most beautiful and precious gift to us. It is something that we are able to offer to God. It is something that helps priests to live their life more fully devoted towards God. It is a image to other people to understand how devoted we all should be to God. And it is certainly a precious uh, circumstance of my own life that has very much helped me to, to, to work harder and to give more of my life, not in any way that I do so perfectly, but I cherish and I think all priests should cherish the celibacy that they have. Yes, of course, there's difficulty. And yes, there's moments and if not weeks and days or even months or whatnot of loneliness. Yes, there's all kinds of difficulties in every element of life. And loneliness is something that can happen within a marriage and probably every marriage. To some degree, every person within marriage experiences loneliness to a certain degree or another because we are all directed towards God and only he can fulfill that. So, Celibacy is something that is very good and rich. It is not this, this thing that oftentimes people think of like these these handcuffs that bind me to this difficult way of life where I just dredge through it in hopes that I can get to the next day. Yeah, there's difficulties, but as I said, in every way of life there is. Celibacy is rather this liberating reality, this liberating ecclesial discipline that helps me to live a life more fully devoted to God and hopefully also merit more reward for the sake of heaven after this life. And in doing so, then always will I be appreciative of the celibacy? Because if that lends itself towards helping me to have a higher, more perfect and glorious position in heaven, then I am absolutely happily uh, willing to bear this difficulty here and now for the sake of helping other people as well to get to heaven and to have greater sanctity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Virgin, most pure, we ask that you help every priest to live according to his state in life, to fulfill his obligations, to help us to carry the burdens of priesthood, but also to help us to joyfully and filled with peace, to love and to serve the people that are put into our hands, to do so in a way that truly leads them towards greater sanctity. I ask a blessing upon all of those who are in the hands of priests, all of the souls that have been given to them and entrusted to them for the sake of the care of their souls. Help all of us as well that are celibate to love and to cherish this gift from God, to cooperate with his graces that help us to live it, and to live it and use it in a way that helps us to be perfect in this life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.